Warning. We hope that this issue of Nil Desperandum will remain rated G. For visions of sugar plum fairies, roasting chestnuts, and some good old-fashioned Christmas cheer. Nil Desperandum 24. The Nutcracker and the Mouse King. By E.T.A. Hoffman. to our special Nil Desperandum live Christmas event, a presentation of E.T.A. Hoffman's classic story, The Nutcracker and the Mouse King. Joining me tonight to help narrate this story, may I introduce uh, first very popular Nil Desperandum narrator, Mr. Richard Coons. You can say hi, Richard. It's okay. I can say hi. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Host of the Flatus Show and known throughout the world as one of the greatest ukulele players of our time, Mr. Ken Stoffer. Hi, how you doing? The book guy himself, Mr. Paul, the book guy Elvis. That's well known podcast listener, participator, and one of the greatest jokesters around, Mr. Charlie White. Hello, everybody, and have a Merry Christmas through this podcast. And, of course, uh, the woman who holds the distinction as having narrated the most downloaded Bill Desperandum stories in our history, the always lovely Mrs. Lorna Boyle. Hi, everyone. So tonight we bring you E.T.A. Hoffman's classic story, The Nutcracker and the Mouse King. Most most people, of course, know this from The Nutcracker Suite, the ballet written by Peter Ilyich Tchaikovsky in 1892. The original story was written by E.T.A. Hoffman in German back in 1816. And I think you might learn some things along the way. The story is a little different from the ballet you might be used to. So with that, I thank you for listening. If you have any comments over the course of the story, uh, please feel free. If you are on the Stickham chat room, please uh, share them in the chat there, uh, although you will not find any of us actually on camera. Uh, you can also comment via Twitter to at Traveler Jim. If you would like to comment via email, please send those emails to bearcalling at uh, gmail.com. And our producer, Charles McFall, is monitoring all of those and will share that those comments with us afterwards. Uh, if you would like to join us after the story and uh, share some Christmas wishes or share your comments, uh, please uh, feel free to Skype us. You can find me on Skype at World Traveler Jim. Uh, or if you do not have Skype and would like us to call you on the phone, please email your name and phone number to bearcrawling at gmail.com. I promise we will not share your phone number over the air, but we will give you a call. 
So with that, please sit back and enjoy our story. Snow was falling gently on the streets, and people were hurrying home, their arms filled with gaily wrapped boxes and paper parcels from toy stores, candy shops, and bakeries. For it was Christmas Eve, and as twilight fell, the children throughout Germany waited in hushed expectation for night to arrive, and with it their gifts from the Christ child. Inside the home of Dr. Stahlbaum, Fritz and his younger sister Marie had stationed themselves at the doors of the grand drawing room. All day they had been under strict orders not under any pretext to go into the drawing room. But their mother had said nothing about peeking through the keyhole or the crack under the door. I can see Godpapa Drosselmeyer moving about in there, whispered Fritz, nearly standing on his head. Oh, I wonder what pretty things he's been making for us this time, exclaimed Marie. Their godfather was an awesome man in both appearance and accomplishments. He was far from handsome, spidery thin, and with a face as wrinkled as last year's apple. Over his right eye he wore a black patch, and over his bald head he wore a frizzled white wig which he had made himself out of spun glass filaments. In addition, he had a habit of gesturing with his long arms and fluttery fingers, and walking so stooped over that he resembled a loosely strung marionette. He was indeed strange to behold. But he was a lovely godfather to the children. Never did he visit the stall bombs without bringing Fritz and Marie some delightful little wind-up toy that he had invented. A soldier that marched and saluted, or a little doll that clapped her hands and said, Mama! Or a gilded bird that hopped about in its cage and sang a song. For Godfather Drosselmeyer was a very clever man who understood springs and gears and all things mechanical. Each Christmas his gift to his godchildren was some special work of art, so fine and ingenious, in fact, that Dr. and Mrs. Stahlbaum were afraid the children would break it. And so his gifts, after being oohed and awed over, were kept high up on top of the top shelves of the glass-fronted toy cupboard in the drawing room.
As it got darker and darker, Fritz and Marie sat closer and closer together and quietly discussed what God Papa Drosselmeyer might have for them and what they hoped the Christ child would bring them. Marie wanted a new doll to keep her Miss Gertrude company. Fritz needed some cavalry soldiers to support his infantry and artillerymen in battle. All was dark and silent now in the house, and the two children sat huddled together, absorbed in their own visions of what lay behind the drawing-room doors. At last the silvery bell rang out, and the doors of the drawing-room flew open. A brilliance of light and color flooded the hall, and the children cried, Oh, how beautiful! What Fritz and Marie saw was the magnificent Christmas tree in the world, lit by hundreds of tiny candles that twinkled like stars and made glittering spots of reflected light dance on the ceiling. Hanging invitingly from the fragrant green branches were all sorts of delicious things to eat, nuts and apples wrapped in silver foil, sugar plums and pink and yellow bonbons, star-shaped cooker cookies and gingerbread boys, peppermint canes and even little toy people made of candy, chocolate soldiers and marzipan ladies and gentlemen, and delicate shepherds and shepherdesses made out of sugar. There were tin trumpets and whistles and pretty glass balls dangling from the tree too, and spread under, under it were so many gifts that the children didn't know what to look at first. Marie clapped her hands in delight when she saw a large and beautiful doll, which she immediately christened Miss Claire, and Fritz kicked up his heels and danced like a jumping jack when he spotted an entire squadron of soldiers mounted on white horses. Marie thought her prettiest gift was a silk dress with ribbons every color of the rainbow, while Fritz proclaimed as he galloped round the room that his chestnut horse, its regal head mounted to a long stick, would be very useful in military combat. With so many wonderful gifts, it was some time before the children's excitement wore off. Then came the display of Godpapa Drosselmeyer's special gift. A huge box was opened and presented for all to see was an exquisite palace with golden towers and many windows. When their godfather wound up all the keys, the palace suddenly came to life. A soldier marched out of his sentry box and paraded back and forth. Beautiful ladies and gentlemen with plumed hats and velvet robes strolled to and from the windows, and a harlequin and a columbine danced in the courtyard. As the clockwork springs wound down, the little figures moved slower and slower, then jerked to a halt, until Drosselmeyer wound them up again. 
They repeated their performance over and over. It was a remarkable display, but after a while Fritz announced that he preferred his soldiers, who would do as he commanded them, and he proceeded to line them up for battle under the Christmas tree. Marie, too, drew tired of the dancing and parading little figures, but she did not want to hurt her godpapa's feelings, so she continued watching until something under the tree caught her attention. It was a little man, made out of wood, standing there patiently, waiting to be noticed. His legs were too short, and his head was too large, and he was wearing a short and narrow wooden cape that stuck out from his back. But the rest of his costume showed him to be a man of good taste. He was dressed like a military officer of high rank, with a lavender jacket trimmed with brass buttons and braid, trousers to match, and a shiny black Boots. Marie fell in love with him at first sight, and the longer she studied him, the more clearly she saw what a sweet nature he had. His green eyes, though they stuck out a bit too prominently, beamed with kindness and loyalty, and his beard of white and cotton drew attention to his cherry red lips, which smiled from ear to ear. Oh, papa, cried Marie, whose gift is that darling little man? He belongs to the old and respected Nutcracker family, said her father, as he popped a nut into the little man's mouth and pulled the wooden cape down and knack-knack produced a neatly cracked shell and whole nut kernel. And since he has made such an impression on you, continued her father, he shall be given over to your special care. You must share his services with Fritz. Marie was thrilled with the efforts effortless and cheerful way he cracked Christmas nuts. But Fritz called Nutcracker an ugly little fellow and crammed the biggest and hardest walnuts he could find into the poor man's mouth until finally, crack, crack, three teeth fell out of the Nutcracker's mouth and his lower jaw wobbled like an old man's. Marie snatched Nutcracker from her brother and cradled him in her arms. What's the good of a nutcracker who can't do his job? Hand him over, snorted Fritz. Marie ran from her brother, crying bitterly. You're a hard-hearted creature, Fritz. You beat your horses and you punish your shouldered soldiers. And now you want to torture this poor wounded nutcracker. Their father separated the true quarrelling children. I have put Nutcracker in Marie's special care, which he seems to need just now. And nobody else has anything to say in the matter.
mother said that it was very late, that perhaps they'd had too much Christmas, and it was time for the party to end. Fritz put his soldiers on his shelf in the toy cupboard. Marie found Nutcracker's lost teeth and bound up his jaw with a ribbon from her new dress. Godpapa Drosselmeyer said goodnight to them all, and everyone went upstairs to bed except Marie, who begged to stay up a few minutes longer. As soon as Marie was alone in the drawing room, she examined Nutcracker's wounds. He looked so pale in the now dimly lit room, yet he smiled at Marie with a melancholy kindliness that touched her heart. Oh, my darling little Nutcracker, she murmured. Don't be sad. Tomorrow I'll have your teeth and jaw set right. Godpapa Drosselmeyer knows how to do things of that kind. But as she said the name Drosselmeyer, Nutcracker made a horrible face and green sparks started from his eyes, or so it seemed to Marie, who was about to be quite frightened, until holding him toward the lamp, she was reassured by his usual kindly face smiling at her. How silly of me to think that a wooden doll can make faces at me, she said, and tenderly tucked Nutcracker into her doll's bed, closed the cupboard door, and was about to go upstairs to bed herself, when softly rustlings and whisperings coming from every side of the room made her stop and listen. Just then, the big grandfather clock started the wheezing and worrying that signaled its preparation for striking the hour. Marie glanced at the clock and was surprised to see that the gilt owl statue perched on top of the clock had thrust its head out and drooped its wings over the face of the clock. The worrying grew louder and louder until it formed distinct words of warning. Clocks, clocks, clocks. Whirr, whirr, whirr. The king of the mice hears this purr. Poom, poom, poom. Strike his hour of doom. Bells go chime, ring the fated time. And then poom, poom went the clock, striking twelve hoarse and hollow notes. As Marie stared at the clock, the gilt owl seemed to melt away, and there, sitting on top of the clock, was her godpapa Drosselmeyer, his head thrust owlishly forward, his coattails hanging down the sides like wings, and his arms gesturing like a magician's. Why, Godpapa, whatever are you doing up there? You gave me a terrible fright, cried Marie. But before she could say another word, there started the most extraordinary squeakings and scamperings and glitterings of, no, not lights, but tiny eyes, hundreds and hundreds of them, as score upon score of mice came squeezing themselves through every chink and crack in the walls and baseboard. Then at Marie's feet there was a sudden splitting and splintering of floorboard, and the king of mice appeared, flashing a sword and glaring at Marie with not two, not four, but fourteen eyes, for he had seven hideous heads, each with a tiny golden crown.
The king of mice hissed and piped his commands, and in no time his army of thousands drew up a line of battle and began advancing, trot, 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 right up to the toy cupboard where Maria was crouched. Drawing back in fright, she pressed against the cupboard door, and her elbow shattered a pane of glass. The tinkling of the broken glass sent the mice squeaking and scampering in retreat. But from inside the cupboard, Marie now heard a different noise. It was the toy's call to arms. Behind the glass doors, soldiers, puppets, dolls, even the little candy people were running about. And there was Nutcracker calling out, Knack, 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 stupid mouse pack, all their skulls will crack, knack, knack, knack. Drums beat, trumpets blared. Then out of the cupboard leaped Nutcracker, leading the toys to battle. At the sight of the little wooden commander, the army of mice regrouped and charged the army of toys. Deafening sounds of rifles and artillery rang out. Boom! Boom! Went the toy cannons hurling sugar plums and nuts at the mice's front ranks. But no sooner would one rank get moved down than a fresh rank appeared. The toys were being overwhelmed. Bring up the reserves, commanded Nutcracker. And indeed, a small group of gingerbread boys appeared from the cupboard. But the enemy quickly bit off their legs so that they clumsily hopped and tumbled about and simply got in the way of the other toy fighters. Marie watched in horror as the Nutcracker's small army was being pushed farther and farther back by the horde of mice. And the Nutcracker's sword and the king of mice squeaked. Now at last, I have you. Marie could stand it no longer. Oh, my poor Nutcracker, she sobbed, and threw her left shoe as hard as she could, directly at the king of mice.
Instantly, the mice vanished, and Marie's arm began throbbing with pain. As she sank to the floor in a faint, she heard, as though in a dream, the sad voice of Nutcracker say to her, My dearest lady, you have saved my life, for which I shall be eternally grateful. But it lies within your power to do even more for me. When Marie awoke, she was in her bed. Her mother was bending over her, and the sun was shining through the frost-covered windows. Oh, Mama, said Marie, there was a terrible battle between the mice and the toys. Her mother looked at Marie anxiously. It was just a bad dream, dear. I found you on the drawing room floor shortly after midnight with a bad cut on your arm. Fritz's, Fritz's, shoulders, Fritz's shoulder, soldiers were scattered about, and Nutcracker was lying on your bleeding arm. Now you must rest quietly today. Marie sighed, realizing that it was quite impossible to convince a grown-up of what had happened last night. She lay quietly in, de- in bed all day until her godfather paid her a visit. The moment he entered the room, she sat up and cried, Oh, God, Papa, how nasty you were. I saw you sitting on the clock and calling the king of mice. Why didn't you help Nutcracker? Why didn't you help me? Stuff and nonsense, said Drosselmeyer gruffly, as he twitched and jerked about. Then he sat on Marie's bed and said to her, quite gently, Don't be angry with me, because I didn't kill the king of mice. That can't be managed quite yet. But to make up for it, I have something which I know will make you happy. He pulled from his coattail pocket Marie's beloved nutcracker, whose teeth and broken jaw he had fixed. Marie hugged her godfather and said, You are a nice god, Papa, after all. But you must admit, said her godfather, that Nutcracker is not what you would call handsome. Now I'll tell you how it was that ugliness came into his family, and why Nutcracker and the King of Mice are enemies. Long, long ago, in a small kingdom not far from Nuremberg, a beautiful princess named Perlipat was born. The king was filled with joy, but the queen was anxious and uneasy, for she feared another queen who lived in the palace. The Queen of Mice, also known as Dame Mouserink. Dame Mouserink was angry at the king for having killed her seven sons. Just you wait, she'd warned the queen. I'll put a curse on your firstborn child. And so the queen had Perlipat's cradle guarded by six nurses and six cats. But one night all six nurses and all six cats dozed off. They woke with a start to the walls of the infant princess and saw... Dame Mouserink leaped from the cradle and disappeared through a crack in the floor. All six nurses rushed to the cradle, but what they saw inside made them turn back in horror. Instead of the beautiful little princess with sky-blue eyes and perfectly formed features, there was a grotesque baby with glassy green eyes that nearly popped out of her head, which was much too large for her tiny body, and on that head was stretched from ear to ear an ugly mouth. The king placed the blame on the inventor from Nuremberg, who he had hired to rid the palace of mice, and who had, in fact, invented the world's first mousetrap to do the job. Christian Elias Drosselmeyer was his name. Restore the princess to her original beauty, commanded the king, or face death. Now Drosselmeyer was a very clever man, but he was not a magician, so he went to the court astronomer for help. Together they consulted the stars and drew the princess's horoscope in endless detail until at last it was clear that her hideous enchantment would be broken only if she ate the kernel of the rare Krakatuk nut. 
whose shell is so hard that a cannon could run over it without crushing it. Moreover, the spell would not be broken until the Krakatuk nut was crushed by a young man who had never shaved and had always worn boots. Drosselmeyer set out immediately in search of the Krakatuk, but after fifteen years during which he traveled the length and breadth of Asia and Africa, he concluded that the search was hopeless. He would have to return to the king and face the consequences. When he neared his native city of Nuremberg, he decided to stop for a last visit to his brother, who was a toy maker there. And as he told his unhappy story to his brother, the toy maker cried, Ah, what luck you had stopped to see me! I have the Krakatuk, and the young gentleman who can crack it. The toy maker produced from a jumble of boxes a nut of medium size that he had bought some years ago from a mysterious nut seller. Engraved on its shell was the word Krakatuk. Then he called for his son, who, though a fully grown man of 18 years, had cheeks as rosy and smooth as a boy's. Young Drosselmeyer had never shaved, and he had always worn boots, and his hobby was cracking nuts with his teeth, which were as strong as steel. Indeed, the young ladies of Nuremberg, for whom he cracked Christmas nuts, named him the Handsome Nutcracker. Old Drosselmeyer and his nephew set off at once for the court of Perlipat's father. Everything that had been ugly about Perlipat had grown ten times more so during the long search for the Krakatuk. The king was now desperate, and he promised that whoever disenchanted his daughter would win her hand in marriage. When the princess saw young Drosselmeyer, she sighed, Oh, he's so handsome. I do hope he will be the one to crack the nut. The young man wasted no time. He put the Krakatuk between his teeth, bit down hard, and crack, crack, shattered the shell into tiny bits. The princess swallowed the kernel, and, oh, marvel of marvels, instantly she was transformed into a wondrously beautiful young lady delicately proportioned, with eyes of sparkling blue, tiny rosebud lips, and golden hair as fine as silk. Just then, Dame Mouserink squeezed through a crack in the floor, and young Drosselmeyer, quite by accident, stepped squarely down upon her. Instantly, he was transformed, just as the princess had been fifteen years before. Now... Now, now he had big, bulging goggle eyes, a wide, gaping mouth, and a head much too large for his body. The unshaven down on his cheeks grew into a white cotton beard, and his flowing cape turned into a wooden handle that stuck out of his back and controlled his lower jaw. As Dame Mouserink lay dying on the floor, she squeaked, My newborn son with seven crown will bring the master cracker down. His mother's death he will repay. Beware, Nutcracker, that fated day. 
Older Drosselmeyer shook his head sadly at the sight of his transformed nephew, but he reminded the king of his promise, to which Princess Pirlipat cried, What? Marry that ugly nutcracker? Send him away! So Nutcracker was banished from the kingdom, and with him his uncle, but not before the court astronomer consulted the stars and foretold that Nutcracker could still be a prince, but that his curse would not disappear until he had killed the son of Dame Mouserink and won the love of a lady in spite of his ugliness. At that, said Maria's godfather, is the story of why Nutcrackers are so ugly. Then he tucked her into bed and said good night. Sleep was slow in coming for Marie that night. What an ungrateful creature that Princess Pirlipat was, she thought. And the more she thought about the story her godfather had told her, the more certain she became that her own nutcracker was the unfortunate young Drosselmeyer under the curse of Dame Mouserink. My dear Mr. Drosselmeyer, Marie whispered to Nutcracker, you can always count on my help when you need it. Just as she was dozing off, she heard a low rustling and soft squeaking. She opened her eyes, and there, standing on her bedside table, was the king of mice. Give me your sugar plums, your bonbons and candy canes, or I'll chew up Nutcracker, he hissed. Marie laid out her sweets for the horrid mouse, but the next night he returned with more demands. Give me your candy people, or I'll make mincemeat out of Nutcracker. Marie loved her pretty little shepherds and shepherdesses and marzipan ladies and gentlemen. She did not want to part with them, but for Nutcracker she made the sacrifice. Yet the seven-headed mouse wanted still more. The third night... He boldly leaped upon her pillow. She cheeked into her ear. Hand over your books, your dresses and laces, or tremble with fear. Nutcracker's end is near. Marie crept out of bed and went downstairs to the toy cupboard. Tears were running down her cheeks and her voice was choked with sobs. Oh, my dear Mr. Drosselmeyer, she said to Nutcracker, what shall I do? Even if I give the king of mice my beautiful picture books and my lovely new Christmas dress, he'll come back tomorrow night demanding something else. Soon I shan't have anything left to give him, and he'll he'll want to eat me. As she spoke, she noticed a spot of dried blood on Nutcracker's neck, the remains of the battle between the mice and the toys. She pulled her handkerchief to wipe the spot clean, and as she rubbed his neck, she felt the wooden nutcracker grow warmer and warmer in her hands. Then he began to move, and with some difficulty, to speak. My most precious Miss Stalbaum, please, no more sacrifices for me. Just get me a sword, and I can do the rest. Then his voice died away, and he became a lifeless wooden doll again. Marie borrowed a sword from one of Fritz's soldiers, soldiers and fastened it to the little wooden man's waist. Then she went back to her bed. She heard the clock strike midnight, and then she heard a rustling and a clanging coming from downstairs. Suddenly there was a, sh a shrill squeak, and all was silent. Soon Marie heard a gentle tapping at her door, and a soft voice said, "'Good news, Miss Stahlbaum.' 
The door opened, and in walked a living, breathing boy the size of Fritz. Marie recognized him at once as Nutcracker, for his large head and features were the same, and sticking out of his back was a wooden handle. He knelt beside Marie's bed and took from his arms seven golden bracelets. Please accept these as a token of my gratitude, he said, as he gave her the tiny crowns of the king of mice. It was you and only you, dearest lady, who gave me the courage and strength to kill the king of mice. And now I should be most honored if, if you would follow me to my kingdom and share with me my hour of victory. He took Marie's hand and led her down the hall and into the wooden wardrobe, where he reached up the sleeve of Dr. Stahlbaum's fur coat and pulled down a little ladder. Why, I never saw that ladder before, exclaimed Marie. Nutcracker smiled down at her. There are many things you've never seen that I should like to show you, said Nutcracker as he led her up the ladder and into the land of toys. Snow was falling thickly, but it was not in the least cold. And when Marie caught a snowflake on her tongue, she was astonished to discover that it tasted just like sugar crystals. Up ahead stood a pine forest that glittered and sparkled with gold and silver fruit and gave off the most delicious fragrance of orange and spices. This is Christmas wood, said Nutcracker. He clapped his hands and instantly there appeared a group of little shepherds and shepherdesses so white and delicate that you would have thought they were made of sugar. Other little figures with reed flutes and pipes appeared from behind the trees, and as they played their sweet music, the shepherds and shepherdesses danced before Marie. Nutcracker led Marie on, across the river of Lemonade, past Bonbonville and Gingerthorpe and the Honey River. Which, said Nutcracker, 
we will avoid as the people are quite short-tempered because they suffer so much from toothache and down to a lake of rose-colored water. Let us sail across Lake Rosa to the great city in Toyland where my palace and court await me, said Nutcracker. A swan-shaped boat made of glass and sparkling with gems of every color drew up to the shore for them, and as they crossed the lake, Murray exclaimed, Oh, look! Each wave has the face of a pretty girl smiling up at us. I think it is Princess Perlipat. Nutcracker replied, It is your own lovely voice, dear, lovely face, dear Miss Stalbum, which made Marie feel quite suddenly shy and strangely embarrassed. As they approached the shore, an inviting fragrance of all kinds of marmalade hung in the air. That is the grove of jam, said Nutcracker. And who is that beautiful lady? asked Marie. In the grove, standing on a winding path made of sugar, baked sugar almonds and raisins, was an exquisite lady dressed in gossamer pink and white and shimmering like a dewdrop. Marie could not stop looking at her. She is the sugar plum fairy. In my absence, she guards my kingdom and cares for my people, said Nutcracker. The sugar plum fairy approached them as if floating on air. The lovely fairy curtsied gracefully at Nutcracker's feet. Welcome home, dearest prince, she said. The Nutcracker told her about his battle with the king of mice and how Marie had saved his life. I ask you, concluded Nutcracker, what princess can compare for a moment with Miss Stolbaum in beauty, loyalty and goodness of every kind? The answer is none. The sugar plum fairy kissed Marie and said, now let all the kingdom welcome the excellent Miss Stolbaum and rejoice at the victory of our prince. They walked up the path to a large gate made of candy canes, behind which stood the dazzling white walls and towers of Marzipan Palace. Bouquets of roses, tulips, and violets graced the walls, and thousands of gold and silver stars studded the great dome and the turrets. Crowded in the courtyard, waiting to welcome their prince, were all kinds of delightful people who were no bigger than Marie's dolls. There were Spanish gypsies, Swiss yodelers, Dutch maidens, Prussian officers, and people of every kind to be found in the world. 
As Marie and Nutcracker passed through the gates, three Russian Cossacks shouted, Long live Prince Nutcracker! They leapt into the air, clicked their boots together, and danced, twirling faster and faster like a spinning top. Come, said Nutcracker, to the royal banquet, as he led Marie inside the palace to a magnificent crystal hall with little golden tables and chairs that reminded Marie of her own dollhouse furniture. An old Chinese man waddled to the honored couple's throne, bearing a large pot of tea, which two young ladies in satin pajamas poured for them fluttering fans in front of their faces, which were as white and fine as porcelain figurines, they bowed, took little mincing steps backwards, and began an exotic dance from faraway China. Course after course of delicious sweets, chocolate from Spain, Turkish delights, German gin- ginger snaps, and all sorts of cakes and puddings were brought to Marie and Nutcracker, and as Marie took the last bite of the last course, a veiled Arabian lady with golden ankle bracelets that tinkled as she moved brought in tin cups of thick, sweet coffee and performed a slow, hypnotic dance.
Marie sank back in her throne in drowls contentment and listened to the soft music coming from every corner of the hall. Slowly, one by one, hundreds of tiny flower people took their places for the waltz of the flowers. Nutcracker smiled at Marie, his green eyes glowing with love. Dearest Miss Stahlbaum, will you dance with me? And as they glided across the marble floor, Marie whispered to Nutcracker, Can it be? Is it true? I'm in Toyland dancing with you?
Nutcracker gracefully led her in perfect time with the music and smiled down at her, but he said nothing. I know this is not a dream, said Marie. I'm trying to find the right words. It's, it's, it is more like one of Godpapa Drosselmeyer's beautiful creations. Nutcracker's eyes sparkled angrily, such as Marie had only seen once before, and he said rather bitterly, Your Godpapa could never imagine anything like this. Then he swept her away to the walls. Yes, it is true, thought Marie. Everything and everyone here is so, so, I don't know, lovable and wonderful and full of life, not like Godpapa's mechanical things. Though I have just arrived and everything is new to me, I feel so cosy and at home here. I should like to stay here forever. The waltz music swelled around her and she gave herself to it and to the warm rosy feeling which uplifted her and seemed to make her float and rise higher and higher and higher. The next thing Marie knew, she was in her, her own familiar bed. Mama will say it was just a dream and Fritz will say I'm making it up, she sighed. And so she never told anyone about the beautiful sights she had seen or the happy feelings she had had in the land of toys. Though long after she had grown too old to play with dolls, she could often be found in dreamy contemplation by the toy cupboard. Then one day, not long before her sixteenth birthday, Marie gazed at the little wooden nutcracker on his shelf and said, quite loud and clear, Dear Mr. Drosselmeyer, though some people think you are ugly... I love you dearly and always will. Marie's godfather, who was repairing the clock, overheard her. Stuff and nonsense, he said.
But as he spoke, the drawing room doors opened, and a handsome young man entered. Suddenly, her godfather looked happier than she had ever seen him. He jumped down from the clock and introduced the elegant young man as his nephew from Nuremberg. Young Drosselmeyer bowed to Marie and presented her with a little collection of candy toys, exactly like those the king of mice had destroyed. And to Fritz, he gave a real silver sword. At dinner that night, Marie blushed as red as a rose at the sight of this charming young man cranking, cracking almonds for all of them. And she grew redder still when, after dinner, he asked her to accompany him to the toy cupboard. As soon as they were alone, he knelt before Marie and said, My dear Marie, I have waited so long for this day. By saying that you love me, you have once more saved me. Now say that you will be my queen in the land of toys, where I now am king. Marie's parents gave their consent and Godpapa Drosselmeyer his blessings to the marriage. And to this day, Marie and her Hamson Nutcracker reign in a realm where all sorts of wonderful things happen for those who open up their eyes and heart to them.
And that is our story. <laughs> Standing ovation. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't believe I've only just discovered the chat toggle. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> there we go. <clears throat> okay, okay, well, quite down, quite down. It's okay, it's okay. <laughs> uh, so, uh, first of all, Lorna, Paul, Richard, uh, Charlie, Ken, uh, thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> that was thank a lot you. of fun. Uh, You've been listening to the Nutcranker. <laughs> a few little I'm, hitches along the way, but... Uh... I'm just, just reading back. <laughs> I, I still can't say Fritz's soldiers. <laughs> oh, my goodness, that was hard. I'm glad I, I didn't have that one. This is Christmas Wood. <laughs> I wondered what they were going to do in the toy cupboard. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is Christmas Wood, said Nutcracker. <laughs> Uh, you know, this is tame as far as, uh, you know, German nursery rhymes go, so. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's adopted. It's uh, adopted. It's adapted uh, slightly. Yes. Uh, so, Charles, are you there? Yes. You just <laughs> fell off his chair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if he's still there after all this hard work uh, uh, doing, I don't know, whatever he was doing, our producer... Uh, Mr. Charles McFall. <laughs> I would I would make sure all the levels stayed about the same and marking down when we had to cut a few things. But we're good. It was good. It was excellent. Can, can I make a request? Can you leave Nutcranker in and just cut out the part where I said cracker? I'm always cutting like little dead spots or that kind of thing. That's it. All that was the mistakes, the funness. That's that was awesome. Everybody loved it. <laughs> so you don't want any you don't want any retakes? Nope. No, of course this not. Is, this is going out as it is. It's got yeah, to be This done. is like uh, the best part about Saturday Night Live back in the 80s was when, uh, you know, Jason would fall down. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. in the script, you know? I think it was well done. I mean, you know, I don't, th- I don't see any problems with it. Yeah, Except for the music. silences. Yeah. I'm, having, I'm having such a giggle reading back on the chat. <laughs> uh, for the, for our uh, listeners out there, you know, we're, we're recording this on Skype, so as... Um, you know the reading is going on. Uh, the uh, all of us who are doing the narrating, 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 sorry, are uh, you know <laughs> trying to adjust what we're doing on the fly uh, through the Skype chat. And, well, I was, I was too nervous like, to chat. I was too nervous to touch anything. <laughs> of course, when you get guys like Charlie White and Ken and Paul, uh, <laughs> yeah, in one chat room together, <laughs> yeah, yeah, th- so- things are just going to go south. You, you just know it. I resemble that remark. <laughs> uh, we did have some good chatter uh, for some people. I know on the uh, the special stream that went out on, uh, we had somebody said it's awesome. Uh, good. Uh, so this is a le- uh, this is a live read, right? With a question mark, of course. It's, a, it's amazing. Okay. That was the responses. Uh, and the right. oh, we got a couple of bravos afterwards as well. Uh, there you go. You're super. Uh, Stick Ham, I know we got uh, a philosophy guy is back. He was listening for a while when a mixer and came back. Where is it? Uh, oh, Mortar World says this is Mondo Awesome. And they're like, that one. I said, you guys rule, enjoying the reading from everyone. 
Uh, we had uh, Gary Drink from England come in. He said this was the first thing that made him feel Christmassy all season long. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. Very nice. So tuning in all the way from England. Oh, cool. Yep. Birmingham. Or if he's 12 pints in, it's bringing him. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll uh, you know, not, not to uh, knock down our English listeners at all, but I will go one further uh, in, at least she said she would, uh, actually one of our uh, authors, uh, Ms. Jennifer Leeper, uh, who wrote uh, Padre, uh, should be listening in from Korea. So hopefully she will. Uh, then, then we'll send her a kamsamnida. What's that? Got another comment from the other chat room. Uh, thank you guys for the Nutcracker show. Simply wonderful. Uh, thanks for all your good work and thank you again. Oh, excellent. Brilliant. Super. I know we had up to eight people on Mixler, and now they did not post any posts, but they were listening, and there's still a few there. We thank you for listening on Mixler. And on the stick hand chat room, they are saying, uh, very nicely done. Kudos to all. A very loud Merry Christmas from Mornet World. Uh, the movie guy says, Joel, I can't even say that. Joyo Noel. I know I'm saying it wrong. Joyeux. Joyeux Noel. Schweiger. Oh, did we lose someone? Things have been quiet. More of this live uh, reading. (laughs) Uh, Yes, Charles has decided to pack it in for the night, apparently. Okay. We had uh, 40 (laughs) listeners on the other stream. Oh, wow. Which which stream is this, Paul? Uh, We can't tell you. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. The, it's on backcrawling, backcrawling live. Uh, I'm still, still, I'm uh, sworn to secrecy. Oh, okay. <laughs> Forty mysterious listeners. Well, thank you, mysterious <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Thanks, invisible people. <laughs> well, with that, I think we'll go ahead and call it a night. Okay. Uh, yeah, thank, Jim, thank if you could be around in about an hour. Yes. Excellent. Uh, thank fun. you to everyone for listening. Uh, Lorna, Paul, Thanks, Charlie, Ken. Guys, it's been a blast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Talk to you soon. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to all. Bye. 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 Bye.